Grace and peace to you, friends. Welcome to The Oak Tree Journeys. My name is Mandy Oaks, and this is the Encyclopedia Challenge Season 1, Episode 77. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Today is August the 14th, 2022, and I appreciate everyone joining me. Uh, thank you to my new listeners. Thank you to my regular listeners. If you are new, you may be wondering, what is the Encyclopedia Challenge? And you may, may be asking yourself, do I need to read an encyclopedia to join this podcast and this challenge? And the answer to that is no. I read the encyclopedia to you. I read from two different encyclopedias. I read from the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909 and from the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. And if you've missed any of my podcasts or you just want to know how to spell a lot of these words, just go to my website, theoaktreejourneys.com and select Encyclopedia Challenge and you can scroll through and see which words we've already done. Uh, there are uh, links with each season and which, with each episode. Uh, so feel free to click those. Um, you can also go to the podcast links and select any of the podcast links. And if I'm still up on any of those, I, I don't know if I'm up on all of them anymore. But if I am, then it'll take you directly to my podcast page on whatever platform you like to listen to. And today we've got lots of great words. Uh, we are going to be uh, in the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 a lot today. I'm scrolling through here and it looks like most of our entries are from the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. Now, sometimes that is very unusual um, sometimes we are strictly in the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909, and sometimes we've got a, a good smattering of both. But today, uh, we are going to be mostly in the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. And I say that, but, um, and we're going to start with the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. But before we do, um, if you recall, last week ended the contest for the bonus word. It was a Greek word. Uh, I'm not going to announce which word it was. Last I looked, um, I didn't see anyone. Um, so if you wanted to be entered to win a copy of the anthology book Love Gone Viral, I'm going to extend it out. Uh, you have until August 18th, 1159 p.m. Eastern Time, so that's August 18th of 2022. So if you wanted to enter, I'm going to go ahead and give you a chance to enter uh, so you can listen to any of the previous podcasts of when the contest started and listen for that bonus word. And if you are new um, or if you missed the rules, uh, the bonus word is a Greek word, and I actually say bonus. Um, before the word, and sometimes even after the word. So all I need um, is the word. Spelling does not count. Now, I did. I do believe I spelled it a couple of times, at least in one podcast. So 
Spelling does not count though. Uh, just give it your best shot and then the definition. And the definition is very short. So I don't need this really long paragraph of definition. You don't have to go look anything up um, to give me this very professional college answer. Uh, it's just a short, very short definition. It's actually a short word too. Um, and it does not, and here's another hint, it does not start with the letter A. We are in the A's right now, so it is the only word that does not start with the letter A uh, that I give. So if you wanted to enter to win and you just missed it, I'm going to extend that out for four more days. So now you have until August 18th of 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. And I know sometimes those bonus words can be very hard uh, to catch, especially if you are listening to the podcast while you're driving, as I sometimes do. Um, so again, you've got until August 18th to send me that word. You can email it to me. That is actually the best form of contact because the contact page doesn't always get to me. Um, I've noticed that. So if you did use the contact page and you entered, um, I would suggest using just my email address. My email address is mandyoaks at protonmail.com. And again, that is mandyoaks at protonmail.com. And my email is in the description of this podcast. And I will double check if to see if my email is on my website. Uh, that way, you can look on my website as well. Okay. And the quote of the month, and if you are new, we do have a quote of the month. And our quote of this month is by Donna Hedges. And she said, having a place to go is a home. Having someone to love is a a family. Having both is a blessing. So I just love that. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and repeat it. Having a place to go is a home. Having someone to love is a family. Having both is a blessing. And that's by Donna Hedges. And let me get, let's go ahead and go into the reason you are all here. Our first set of five entries are Andante, Andean, Andin, Andermat, and Anderab. So number one is Andante, or I'm sorry, Andante. So Andante. And again, this is from the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. The first three words are going to be from the 1909 Encyclopedia. So, Andante is in music. It implies a movement somewhat slow and sedate, but in a gentle and soothing style. This term is often modified both as to time and style, by the addition of other words, as Adante Affidiaso, slow but pathetically, and Dante Cantabile, slow but in a singing style, and Dante Conmoto, slow but with emotion, and Dante Gracioso, slow but gracefully, and Dante Mastioso, slow with majesty. And Dante non troppo, slow but not too much so. And Dante pastoral, slow and with a pastoral simplicity. And Dantiano, 
is a quicker movement than Andante between it and Allegretto. Number two, Andion. Of or pertaining to the Andes, a great chain of mountains running through South America, and a site, noun, an neos rock found in the Andes containing the felspar called andesine of a white, gray, greenish, or yellowish color. Number three, Andin is a town of Belgium, province of Namur, 10 miles east from Namur, and nearly two miles south from the Mass. It has manufactures of paper, porcelain, and tobacco pipes, for the last of which it is famous. Cotton spinning, bleaching, and other branches of industry are also marble, or I'm sorry, are also prosecuted. There are beds of pipe clay, quarries of marble, and lead, iron, and coal mines in the neighborhood. The population in the early 1900s was 10,516. It's only 10,516. Number four, where we are going to switch to the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 for number four. And number four is Andermatt. So Andermatt. Andermatt is, a Switzerland, is in Switzerland. It is a village of Uri Canton, 17 miles south of Altdorf, located in the Urseren Valley at an elevation of 4,700 feet. It is on the route over the St. Gotthard Pass and with completion of the St. Gotthard Railroad between Lucerne and Italy in 1882. It became a popular tourist resort. The population in 1941, get this, in 1941, the population was only 1,088. So 1,088 in 1941. Okay, and number five, before break, let's switch back over to the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. That is Andorab, or Indorab. And to see the spellings, there are two different spellings of that. And to see the spellings, um, go to theoaktreejourneys.com, select Encyclopedia Challenge, and today's is Season 1, Episode 77. So Indorab, or Indorab, it's a town in the Afghan portion of Turkestan, on the north slope of the Hindu Kush Mountains, and on the right or north bank of the Indorab, or Indorab, River, a branch of the Gori or Kunduz, itself a branch of the Jehun, 80 miles south southeast from Kunduz. It is surrounded by gardens, orchards, and vineyards. It is a principal entrepot of commerce between Persia and India. The population in the early 1900s was 6,500. And with that, let's go ahead and go to break. And welcome back. Our next set of five entries are Andernap, Anderson, Hans Christian, Anderson, Anderson, Alexander, Anderson, Carl David. So numbers six through nine, we are going to be in the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. And then we're going to switch over to the 1956 um, 
for numbers 10 through 14. So numbers 11 through 14 will be after break. Number six, Andernak, which is a little town belonging to the district of Comlins on the Rhine, latitude 50 degrees, 27 feet north, longitude 7 degrees, 25 feet east, once a Roman fortress styled Antonacum, then a residence of the Merovingian kings, afterwards one of the most flourishing places on the Rhine. The great tower on the north side, the fine old church with one tower built in the Carlovingian <laughs> times, and the old gates and walls give quite a medieval aspect to the town. It has a trade in leather, wine, and corn, and is especially celebrated for its millstones, exported to distant parts of the world, and for its tuffstein or trass, an indurated volcanic mud which, when pulverized and mixed with lime, makes a mortar or cement for constructions underwater. The population in the early 1900s was 5,700, so that's 5,700. Number seven, Anderson, Hans Christian, or Hans Christian Anderson. So if you recall, he is a writer and a poet. Uh, Hans Christian Andersen was born in 1805 on April 2nd. He died in 1875 on August 4th. He was born in Funen, um, Odense Funen, to be exact. He was one of the most gifted poets that Denmark has recently produced. So when they say recently, remember this is from 1909, so that's what they mean by recent. His father was a poor shoemaker who used to console himself by speaking of the former prosperity and wealth of his family. After his father's death, he was for a short time employed in a manufactory. The widow of Bunkflood, a poet of some reputation, charitably adopted him. Well, that's good. I'm glad he did. He early displayed a talent for poetry and was known in his native place as the comedy writer. Hoping to obtain an engagement in the theater, he went to Copenhagen, but was rejected because he was too lean. Oh my goodness. So, too lean. That is just craziness. He was next encouraged to hope for success as a singer, but Feld hardly commenced his musical studies when his voice failed. Poor guy. First he's too lean, then his voice failed. He found generous friends, however, to help him in his distress. An application having been made by one of them to the king, he was placed at an advanced school at the public expense and so began his academic education in 1828. Some of his poems, particularly one entitled The Dying Child, had already been favorably received, and he now became better known by the pu publication of his Walk to a Mock, a literary satire in the form of a humorous narrative. In 1830, he published the first collected volume of his poems, and in 1831, a second under the title Fantasies and Sketches. His traveling sketches were the fruit of a tour in the north of Germany. He completed his Agnes and the Merman in Switzerland, and one of his best works, the Improvisator, a series of scenes depicted in a glowing style and full of poetic interest. You know, I've never read that. I'll have to check that out. 
uh, and it was the fruit of a visit to Italy. Soon afterwards, he produced O.T. in 1835. It was a novel containing vivid pictures of northern scenery and manners, which was followed in 1837 by another entitled Only a Fiddler. In 1840, he produced a romantic drama, The Mulatto, which was well-received, but another Raffaella, which was less successful, which you, you've got ups and downs. In the same year appeared his picture book without pictures. Oh, see, I've actually seen a children's book um, that said this book has no pictures or something like that. That is not new. That is not unique. <laughs> um, so it looks like Hans Christian Andersen did that first. And it was a series of the finest imaginative sketches. <laughs> in the end of 1840, he commenced a lengthened tour in Italy and the East, of which he gave an account in A Poet's Bazaar in 1842. In 1844, he visited the court of Denmark by special invitation, and in the following year, he received an annuity. After that date, he traveled in various countries. Among his works are Tales from Jutland in 1859, The Sandhills of Jutland in 1860, Tales for Children, which I think we're more familiar with, at least I was, um, when I was younger, in 1861. The Wild Swans and the Ice Maiden in 1863. Ooh, that sounds really good. The Story of My Life, the best picture of his character. A Hosserus, I love that name, a Hosserus, a drama. And New Tales and Adventures in 1872. His complete works, published in Denmark in 23, 23 volumes, have been translated into German of 50 volumes, English, etc. It says his best prose works. I'm wondering if it's supposed to say his best prose works have been published in this country of 10 volumes. His dying child has been translated into the language of Greenland. And on his 70th birthday... He was presented with a book containing one of his tales in 15 languages. Wow. And the King of Denmark gave him the Grand Cross of the Dannebrog Order. He is best known in the United States by his beautiful fairy tales. Yep. His stories for children show his delicious humor and his childlike heart. This is giving me... I, I, whenever you get older, unless you're really, really into all of that... Um, Han, at least for me, Hans Christian Andersen just kind of faded out. But now, after reading this, I'm like, ooh, I need to soak up more of his work. Definitely. All right, and number eight, Andersen. Anderson. So we've got the S-O-N now. So Hans Christian Andersen is an S-E-N. So now we're in the S-O-Ns. So number eight is Andersen. Andersen is a city and county seat of Madison County, Indiana, 36 miles northeast of Indianapolis, on the west fork of the White River, and on four steam rail railways, trunk lines, Anderson is in the center of a rich agricultural region and is in an important manufacturing center containing many factories of tin plate, steel springs, wire fence, nails, files, steel tanks, tools, and tool workers' supplies, wind pumps, shovel handles, glass, encaustic tiles, carriages, K-1 
carriage and buggy materials, automobiles, etc. It contains a fine courthouse, a government building for postal service, library, orphan's home, numerous school buildings, churches, and hotels, and has several banks and newspapers. The streets and sidewalks are well paved. There is an excellent fire department, and the city owns and operates the water and electric light plants. The first settlement in 1822 was known as Anderson's Town, but the name was changed to Anderson in 1838 by the legislator, and the city was incorporated in 1865. The city government consists of a mayor and council elected by the people. The population in 1905 was 26,000. Number nine, Anderson, Alexander, or Alexander Anderson. Let's find out who he was. He was the earliest American wood engraver. Uh, he was born in 1775 on April 21st and died in 1870 on January 17th. He was born in New York. He discovered a taste for art and talent for delineation while a boy. And as, as at the age of 12 years old, he began to engrave on copper scents, smoothed off, and on other metals. He was self-taught principally by watching other workmen in metals. He studied medicine at Columbia College, graduating in 1796, but abandoned his practice for his chosen art. He engraved the illustrations for Webster's Elementary Spelling Book, Bewick's Birds, and Bell's Anatomy. So that's pretty cool. I always find it interesting when people are self-taught. Uh, my grandfather, my late grandfather, was self-taught with languages. He knew all kinds of languages. Um, all kinds. So it was, it was pretty cool. Number 10, Anderson, Carl David, or Carl David Anderson. And we will find him in the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. Let me get, make sure I'm on the right page here. <laughs> here he is. So Carl David Anderson. He was an American physicist. He was born in New York City on September 3rd in 1905. He graduated at the California Institute of Technology in 1927 and three years later secured his PhD magna cum laude. After graduating, he joined the faculty of his alma mater, becoming assistant professor of physics in 1933, associate professor in 1937, and full professor of physics in 1939. From 1927 to 1930, he conducted research on X-ray, photoelectrons, and thereafter he investigated gamma rays and cosmic rays. In 1932, he announced the discovery of positron, and for this achievement, he shared the Nobel Prize for Physics with Victor Franz Hess in 1936. So that's pretty cool. Right, and let's go ahead and go to break. When we come back, we will remain in the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. And welcome back. Our next set of five entries are Anderson, Clinton Presba, Anderson, Edward Hatfield, Anderson, Elizabeth Garrett, Anderson, Eugenie, and Anderson, Galusha, STD, LLD. 
Number 11, Anderson, Clinton Presbet or Clinton Presbet Anderson. And this is, again, from the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. He was an American public official born Centerville, South Dakota, October 23, 1895, a student at Dakota Wesleyan University from 1913 to 1915, he ended his college studies after an additional year at the University of Michigan. Transferring his residence to New Mexico, he worked as a newspaper reporter and editor at Albu Albuquerque from 1918 to 1922, after which he became manager of the insurance department of the New Mexico Loan and Mortgage Company for two years. In 1925, he acquired ownership of an insurance agency at Albuquerque, during 1933 to 1934, he served as New Mexico State Treasurer, and in 1935, he was named a minister of the New Mexico Relief Administration and field representative of the Federal Emergency Relief Administration. He was chairman and executive director of the State Unemployment Compensation Commission from 1936 to 1938, and the following year, he was appointed managing director of the Coronado Exposition Commission. In 1941, he entered Congress as a Democratic representative at large from New Mexico and served in 77th, 78th, and 79th sessions. He was chairman of the House Committee to Investigate Campaign Expenditures in the 78th Congress and presided over the Special House Committee studying problems of the nation's food shortages in the 79th Congress. Effective July 1, 1945, he was appointed Secretary of Agriculture in President Truman's cabinet. He continued to serve in this post until May 1948, when he resigned to seek election to the Senate from New Mexico. On November 2, 1948, he was elected Senator. So he must have still been alive at the time of this writing, because this is only in uh, 1956. So and he was elected senator in 1948. Number 12, Anderson, Edwin Hatfield, or Edwin Hatfield Anderson. He was an American librarian. Oh, librarian, that's my new job. I'm so excited, I love this job, it's amazing. All right, so, except I'm a library assistant. Um, he's an actual librarian. And again, this is from the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. And I'll let you know when we switch over. We've got, uh, after we read about Edwin Anderson, uh, we've got two more from the 1956 Encyclopedia before we switch over. He was born in Zionsville, Indiana, September 27, 1861. He died in Evanston, Illinois, April 29, 1947. He graduated at Wabash College in 1883. He studied during 1890 to 1891 at the New York State Library School in Albany and in 1892 became librarian of the Carnegie Free Library in Braddock, Pennsylvania. That's pretty cool. In 1895, he left that post to organize the Carnegie Free Library of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Under his direction during the next nine years, it became a model for libraries in many other cities. Oh, that's cool. After a brief experience of zinc and lead mining at Carthage, 
In Missouri, in 1906, he returned to the library field as director of the New York State Library and Library School. Let's see here. Okay, yeah, library school. Here, here we go. My eyes were skipping a line. He was appointed assistant director of the New York Public Library in 1908. He became director in 1913, serving until his retirement in 1934. In 1926, he played a major role in consolidating the library school he had organized there with the New York State Library School to form the Columbia School of Library Service. So that's pretty neat. He was very, very busy. Number 13, Anderson, Elizabeth Garrett, or Elizabeth Garrett Anderson. Let's find out who she was. She was an English physician. She was born in Aldeburgh, Suffolk, Suffolk in 1836, and she died there December 17th in 1917. In 1860, she resolved to study medicine and managed to obtain some instruction at the Middlesex Hospital in London, though refused admission as a full student, remember this is the 1800s, either there or elsewhere. Finally, she studied anatomy privately at the London Hospital, so if you have a passion, you are going to find a way to do it and no one is going to stop you. So she studied anatomy privately at the London Hospital and was some of the professors of St. Andrews University and at the Edinburgh Extramural School. She had no less difficulty in gaining a qualifying diploma to practice medicine. London University, the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons, and other examining bodies refused to admit her to examinations. But finally, see, she didn't give up. Uh, she had some grit, but finally she was allowed to enter for the license of the apothecary's hall, which she obtained in 1865. In 1870, she obtained the Paris degree of MD, and a year later married J.G.S. Anderson, who died in 1907, a London ship owner. She worked steadily at the development of the new hospital for women and at the creation of a complete school of medicine in London for women. So, woohoo! <laughs> in 1908, she was elected mayor of Aldeburg, the first lady mayor in England. So, I had a friend, um, I, I think I mentioned this um, a few episodes ago, who said women didn't get to do anything. Well, this woman started her own new hospital for women. Um, and she was also elected mayor, so, and she didn't give up on her dreams. She knew exactly what she wanted to do, and she went full speed ahead, even when she had lots and lots of roadblocks. So, I hope that uh, we can use her as an example anytime we get a roadblock, uh, if it's our, our passion. Number 14, Anderson, Eugenie, or Eugenie Anderson, and they've got her name, uh, in parentheses is Helen as her first name and then there's also more so her full name if we go by what's in parentheses and this is on the um, website theoaktreejourneys.com so her her full name is Helen Eugenie Moore Anderson she was an American diplomat born in Adair Iowa May 26 1909 
She was a daughter of the Reverend E.A. Moore, a Methodist parson. After graduating from high school in 1925, she taught piano for two years, then worked in a telephone company to acquire the means to finance a college education. See, another, another person who's not going to let Roblox stop her. At Carleton College in Northfield, Minnesota, she met John Pierce Anderson of Red Wing, Minnesota, an art student. They were married on September 9th in 1930. During a two-year residence in New York, Mrs. Anderson pursued her piano studies at, at the Institute of Musical Art. That's cool. They then returned to Red Wing to make their home on the Anderson 400-acre farm. Wow, that's a lot. A visit to Europe in 1937 awoke her interest in world affairs. She began an intensive study of international relations, joined the Minnesota League of Women Voters, and was instrumental in effecting a statewide fusion of the Democratic and Farmer Labor Parties. During World War II, she strove to counter the prevailing Midwestern isolationist sentiment, and by 1946 had become an important figure in state politics. She campaigned vigorously for the re-election of President Truman in 1948 and for election to the Senate of her co-worker, Mayor H.H. H. Humphrey of Minneapolis. Nominated ambassador to Denmark on October 12, 1949, her appointment was confirmed by the Senate a week later. The first American woman to attain ambassadorial rank, she resigned January 10th of 1953. So she was pretty busy too. Number 15, Anderson, Galusha, STD, LLD. Um, for this person, we are going to go back to the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. So we have Galusha Anderson, educator. He was born in Bergen, New York, 1832, on March 7th. He was the son of a farmer. He attended the district schools and worked on a farm until the age of 17 when he prepared for college, graduating at Rochester University in 1854 and at the Baptist Theological Seminary in that city in 1856. He became pastor of a Baptist church in Janesville, Wisconsin, and in 1858 in St. Louis, um, not sure what this word is supposed to be, We'll just say it's a typo. When he was called in 1866 to the chair of homiletic, oh, homiletics and pastoral duties in the Newton or Massachusetts Theological Institution. He preached in Brooklyn and in Chicago from 1873 to 1878. He was president of the Old Chicago University in 1878 to 1885. He was president of Denison University in Ohio from 1887 to 1890. He is professor of Baptist Union Theological Seminary from 1890 to 1892. He became professor of practical theology, Divinity School, University of Chicago from 1892 to 1894. It, didn't, it seemed like he just didn't settle down, does it? <laughs> At least to me, when he retired from teaching. During the War for the Union, he was very active in working in the hospitals. That's pretty cool. Okay, and let's stop with him, and let's go ahead and go to break. And welcome back. 
Entries numbers 16 through 20 are all names, and they all end with Anderson. In fact, we are going to... Oh, um, we have Anderson all the way through the end. So I'm not even going to say in, you know, Anderson comma. So just know that all of these have the last name as Anderson with S-O-N. So we have George B. We have James L-L-D. John F-R-S. Judith and Lars. Okay, and we are going to start with the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 for number 16. We have George B. Anderson. So George B. Anderson. And he was an American Confederate soldier. He was born in Wilming Wilmington, North Carolina, 1831. He died October 16, 1862. He was graduated from West Point in 1852 and in 1855 obtained his commission as first lieutenant in the United States Army, serving as regimental adjutant after 1858. Entering the Confederate service in 1861, he was made a brigadier general and placed in command of North Carolina coast defenses. While leading a brigade at the Battle of Antietam, he was mortally wounded. And number 17, James Anderson, LLD. We are switching back to the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909 for numbers 17 and 18. So we have James Anderson, LLD. And he was born, or he lived from 1739 to 1808. He died October 15th. He was born in Hermiston near Edinburgh. He was a writer on political economy and agriculture. In his youth, he invented the small, uh, so he was also an inventor. He invented the small two-horse plow without wheels, commonly called the Scotch plow. When 24 years of age, he rented a large moorland farm of 1,300 acres in Aberdeenshire. In 1780, the University of Aberdeen gave him the degree LLD. Besides agricultural and other essays and periodicals, he published from 1791 to 1794 a periodical, The Bee. In 1797, he went to London in his essay, A Comparative View of the Effects of Rent and of Tithe in Influencing the Price of Corn, contained in the Recreations of Agriculture. He anticipated the theory of rent, which has since become famous. And number 18, and I like inventors. Inventors are pretty cool. Uh, number 18, John Anderson, FRS. He lived from 1726 to 1796. Uh, he died on January 13th. He was born in a parish of Rosneath in Duberton Shire in Scotland. He was professor of natural philosophy in the University of Glasgow and founder of Anderson's College. He studied at the University of Glasgow in which in his 30th year, he was appointed professor of oriental languages and in 1760 he was transferred to the chair of national natural that's either natural or national philosophy he instituted in addition to his university class one for artisans which he taught till the end of his life in 1786 appeared his institutes of physics which went through five editions in 10 years he invented a species of gun See, he was also an inventor whose recoil was stopped by the condensation of air. 
The model of the gun of this gun, he as a friend of liberty, presented to the National Convention in Paris in 1791. By his will, he devoted all his possessions to establish an educational institution in Glasgow for the unacademical population. Well, that was nice having. And number 19, uh, we go back to the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956, and we're going to find out who Judith Anderson is. So Judith Anderson, if I can find her, it would help if I was on the right page. Okay, she was an American actress. So an American actress uh, who was born in Adelaide, South Australia on February 10th of 1898. She was educated in Australia. She received her first role at the age of 17 when she joined a stock company and toured her native land for three years. In 1918, she came to the United States, and after a period of supporting parts, she made her first success on the New York stage in Cobra on 1924. She had many triumphs since, but is most esteemed for her intense dramatic characterizations in Strange Interlude in 1930, Morning Becomes Electra, 1931, Firebird in 1932, The Old Maid in 1935, Hamlet in 1936, Macbeth, London 1937, Family Portrait 1939, Power Beyond and Macbeth 1941, Three Sisters 1942, and Medea from 1947 to 1948, her interpretations in the motion pictures, ooh, so motion pictures, um, Rebecca 1939, King's Row 1942, and Edge of Darkness, 1943, are said to have set a new style and standard for American film characterization. That's pretty cool. So she was still alive when this was written. So remember, this is the 1956 Encyclopedia Americana. Okay, and number 20, let's switch back to the new Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. We have a really cool name, Lars, with a Z, it's in zebra. So Lars Anderson, he was a capitalist. He was born in 1803 on April 9th and died 1878 on February 27th. He was born new, near Louisville, Kentucky. He was brother of Brigade General Robert Anderson. He was a graduate of Harvard and became son-in-law of Nicholas Longworth of Cincinnati, where he lived after his marriage. And we don't know much about him, but this last line tells us everything we need to know. And this is really, really important. Um, this very last line. So what we've heard so far hasn't really been much at all. But this last line says a lot about his character. And may we all have a last line, maybe not exactly like this, but similar to this. He was noted for his generosity. And there it goes. So with that, that's a good place to go to break. And welcome back. Our next set of five entries, if you recall, uh, they all end in Anderson. So I'm just going to read the first names. We have Marion, Martin, Mary, Mary, and Mary. <laughs> so Marion Anderson, 
We are in the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 to find out who Marian Anderson was. She was an American contralto. She was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in 1908. While still in high school, she began studying under Giuseppe Baghetti of Philadelphia. She entered and won a vocal contest in 1925. That's pretty cool. The award for which was an appearance in Lewison Stadium with the New York Philharmonic Orchestra. Ooh. She made her Paris and London debuts in the summer of 1934 and the following season toured America. In 1936, she again went abroad and gave concerts in London, Paris, Holland, Belgium, the Soviet Union, and in Vienna under Bruno Walter. Upon return of her uh, in 1937 to 1938 tour of Europe and South America, she received the degree of music doctor from Howard University in Washington, D.C., and in 1940 won the Bach Award. Arturo Toscanini is reported to have said, quote, a voice like hers comes once in a century, end quote. So if we knew nothing, uh, if you recall, right before break, uh, Lars Anderson's ending sentence was, he was noted for his generosity. So if all we knew about Marian Anderson was a voice like hers comes once in a century, that's amazing. We know all we need to know there, too. So that's pretty cool. Right, number 22, Martin Brewer Anderson, LLD. Let's switch back to the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. And let's see. Oh, here he is. So he was born in 1815 on February 12th and died in 1890 on February 26th, so after his birthday. He was born in Brunswick, Maine. He was an educator. He graduated at Walterville College in 1840. He studied for a year in the Newton, Massachusetts Theological Institution, which is Baptist. In 1842, was made tutor of Latin, Greek, and mathematics at Waterville, and later professor of rhetoric. Here also he taught in modern history, and in 1850, he became proprietor and editor of the New York Recorder, a weekly Baptist journal, and in 1853 became president of the New Rochester University teaching in the departments of psychology and political economy. He resigned in 1888. In 1868, he declined a call to be president of Brown University, and in 1862 to 1863, I'm not sure why they... So they're talking about he resigned in 1888. He declined a call to president in Brown University in 1868. But now they're going backwards in time to 1862 to 1863. It's just my brain is kind of trying to adjust to that. But in 1862 to 1863, he traveled in Europe. And during the Civil War, he devoted his ability as a public speaker to the cause of the Union. He was for many years a member of the New York State Board of Charities. Okay, number 23, Mary Anderson. And the 1909 encyclopedia simply says, see Navarro, Mary Anderson, or M Mary Anderson Navarro. That's all it says. But we have two other Marys. So two, two more Mary Andersons. 
And I quickly, I did a quick check to make sure that it wasn't the same Mary Navarro, but I could have missed it. So hopefully I didn't miss it. Um, so let's take a look. So number 24 and 25, or numbers 24 and 25, we are in the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 for two more Marys. So Mary Anderson, who is an American actress, she was born in Sacramento, California on July 28th of 1859. She died in Worcester, Worcestershire, England on May 29th, 1940. She was educated in Louisville, Kentucky, and when she was 13 years of age, she began to study the stage. She first appeared at Louisville November 27, 1875 in the character of Juliet. Her success was immediate, and during the following years, she played with increasing popularity in the principal cities of the United States in various roles. In 1883, she appeared in London and at Stratford-on-Avon, in the character of Rosalind in As You Like It. At the age of 28, she married Antonio de Navarro. Oh, yep, here we go, Mary Navarro. See, I told you I've probably looked over it, so my apologies on that. I'm not going to change anything. Uh, the second Mary Anderson, number 24, is the same as number 23. Uh, my apologies, I'm, I'm not going to change the numbering. Uh, I might make a note. Uh, but, yeah, my, my apologies on that. And re she retired from the stage. So at the age of 28, when she got married, she retired. And in 1896, she published a volume entitled A Few Memories. Okay, so number 25, we have another Mary Anderson, who is actually the second Mary Anderson. Um, and like I said, I'm going to go ahead and make a note. Uh Right here. Same Mary as number 23. So number 25, uh, Mary Anderson again. She was an American labor leader born in Lidköping, Sweden, August 27, 1872. Arriving in the United States at the age of 16, she entered the clothing industry in Chicago and later worked for 18 years in a shoe factory. Elected representative of the International Booth and Shoe Workers Union, she traveled throughout the country as an organizer. From 1919 to 1944, she was director of the Women's Bureau, United States Department of Labor. She has been a member of numerous labor committees and organizations and has received many honors, among which was the degree of LLD from Smith College. So I'm not sure why they don't have LLD by her name, but she's Mary Anderson LLD. And I will put LLD right there. Um, and whenever you go to the uh, my website, theoaktreejourneys.com, you'll see that she was an LLD. Um, I'm not sure why the Encyclopedia Americana doesn't put the LLDs on there like the 1909 does. Okay, and with that, um, with that little mess up with the three Marys rather than two, uh, let's go ahead and go to break. And welcome back. Our last set of five entries, again, um, all ending in Anderson, except the last one. It begins with Anderson. 
So we have Maxwell, Rosmus Bjorn, Richard Heron, Robert, and then we have Anderson College. And for number 26, Maxwell Anderson, we are in the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 for the last time this week. So Maxwell Anderson was an American playwright, and I don't know why I don't have him marked. So he was an American playwright born Atlantic, Pennsylvania, December 15, 1888. After graduating from the University of North Dakota and receiving his MA degree from Stanford University, he entered the field of journalism, but since 1928, so he was still alive um, when this encyclopedia was completed, or at least when it was started, but since 1928 has devoted himself entirely to writing. In collaboration with Lawrence Stallings, his naturalistic play, What Price Glory?, was produced in 1924 and published in 1926. His dramatic career briefly outlined includes Saturday's Children in 1927, a comedy of marital relations, Gods of the Lightning in 1928, in collaboration with Harold Hickerson, based on the Sacco Vanzetti case, Elizabeth the Queen in 1930, a verse drama, Both Your Houses 1933, a political satire on the corruption of Congress won the Pulitzer Prize, Mary of Scotland in 1933, which was verse drama, Winterset in 1935, which was verse tragedy, also based on the Sacco-Vanzetti trial, won the Drama Critics Award, High Tour 1937, a satirical comedy on the intrusion of industrialism on personal liberty, and it won the Drama Critics Award, Knickerbocker Holiday, 1938, musical comedy written for Kurt Will, Key Largo in 1939, a verse play about an American soldier with the Spanish Loyalists, The Eve of St. Mark in 1942, inspired by World War II, and Joan of Lorraine, 1946, a play within a play in which the story of Joan of Arc is introduced, was produced as a motion picture in 1948. Well, that's cool. I've got a... Quite a few Joan of Arc movies, but I don't know if I've got the 1948. I've got a black and white one that was a silent film. I don't remember what it's called. Um, I wonder if that was if that was it though. Anderson's interest in historical, romantic, and social themes, blended with his use of dramatic intensity, have won for him a reputation as one of the outstanding playwrights of the age. See also drama. Okay, and let's put the 1956 Encyclopedia Americana away, and let's go to the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909 for the remaining four entries. So we have Rasmus Bjorn Anderson for number 27, and let me make sure I've got the right place. Here he is. He was also an author. So we have another author. He was born in Albion, Wisconsin in 19... I'm sorry, not 19. <laughs> 1846 on January 12th. His father was a Quaker. He left Norway in 1836 and settled in Wisconsin in 1841. He was the son of... The son was educated in common schools and a Norwegian college in Decorah, Illinois. In 1869, he was elected instructor and in 1875, professor of languages in the University of Wisconsin. He accompanied Ole Bull to Norway in 1872 to further his acquaintance with the literature and 
and scholars of North Europe. In 1865, he began to write for the press and has since been a frequent contributor to American and Norwegian periodicals. That's cool. So he was still alive when the 1909 encyclopedia was uh, written. He has contributed also to Johnson's Universal Cyclopedia, McClintock and Strong's Cyclopedia, and other works. He was U.S. Minister Resident to Denmark from 1885 to 1889. He is author of the following works. Jewel Grave in 1872, America Not Discovered by Columbus in 1874, Norse Mythology in 1875, Viking Tales of the North in 1877, a translation of Dr. V. No, I'm sorry, F. W. Horn's History of the Literature of the Scandinavian North in 1884, The Elder Edda, a guide to Tutendam and folklore stories from the North in 1887. He has been publisher and editor of America, and that's America with a K, since 1898. Number 28, Richard Heron Anderson. He was a soldier. He was born in 1821, October 7th, and died 1879, June 26th. He was born near Stateburg, South Carolina. He graduated at West Point in 1842. For some years did frontier duty took part in the war with Mexico, was on duty in Kansas during the Border Troubles from 1856 to 1857. He served at Fort Kearney in Nebraska and resigned to accept a brigadier's commission in the Confederate Army commanding the Fourth Corps under Lee. Ultimately, he reached the rank of Lieutenant General. Number 29, Robert Anderson. He was also a soldier. He was born in 1805 on June 14th and died in 1871 on October 27th. He was born at Soldier's Retreat near Louisville, Kentucky. He was the son of an officer in the Revolutionary Army. He graduated at West Point, of course, in 1825, served in the Black Hawk War, and later in the Seminole and Mexican Wars. He was instructor of artillery at West Point and with rank of major assumed command at Fort of Fort Moultrie in Charleston, South Carolina Harbor in 1860. After South Carolina had passed the Ordinance of Secession, he transferred his command of 83 men to Fort Sumter, first spiking the guns at Moultrie and burning their carriages, see Sumter Fort, comma Fort. For nearly four months, he was kept in Sumter by the Southern forces. At length, in 1861 on April 13th, after a protracted and destructive bombardment sorry, bon, bon, ugh, bombardment, which dismounted the guns at Sumter and fired its gates. The fort was surrendered to the enemy, and Major Anderson, with his few and exhausted men, marched out with the, with the honors of war. For his constancy to, the, to his flag he received, through the Secretary of War, the thanks of the nation. The following May, he was appointed Brigade General and assigned to the Department of the Cumberland, General Anderson retired from active service by reason of failing health in 1863. He translated several military textbooks from the French, adapting them to the U.S. service. That's pretty cool. And that's all we have about him. Number 30 is Anderson College. So Anderson College, or the Andersonian University, was founded by John Anderson in Glasgow. It was intended to consist of four colleges under the immediate superintendence of 
81 trustees. It was opened with a single course of lectures on natural philosophy and chemistry in 1796 and was attended by nearly a thousand men and women. In 1798, a professor of mathematics and geology was appointed. In 1799, Dr. Birkbeck began a familiar exposition of mechanics and general science, the origin of mechanics institutes. Additional endowments have been given since 1861 by various persons, and the institution has gradually enlarged its sphere of instruction. Courses are given in physical and medical science and in chemistry. Also, there are taught mathematics, Latin, Greek, Hebrew, French, music, etc. In 1886, the non-medical part was combined with others to form the Glasgow and West Scotland Technical College. The medical college was incorporated in 1887. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I appreciate it. And if you do want to participate um, in the contest that began with Season 1, Episode 73, and ran through Episode 76 of Season 1, so last week's episode, um, all you have to do is send me the word that you heard, the bonus word, which is a Greek word and does not begin with the letter A as an apple, um, and the definition of that word. Um, send it to my email address, mandyoaks at protonmail.com. So if you sent the word uh, via my website, the contact page, for some reason that has not been getting to me. I have done tests on it and it just has not been, been reaching my email. So my apologies for that. Um, that is why I'm extending it just in case anyone sent it through my email. So I'm um, not my email, um, send it through my website. Now, my website, theoaktreejourneys.com, um, is great uh, to see what books um, are published, um, to see what words we've already been over, or to see the spelling of those words. Um, so if you've missed any podcasts or you just want to know where we are um, in the encyclopedia or what words we've already gone over, uh, or if you're confused by spelling of a word, because some of these words, now we didn't run into it too much today, but in the past, a lot of the words are not pronounced the same way they are spelled. Um, so it is useful to find out what, what the spelling is. And for those, you just go to theoaktreejourneys.com and select Encyclopedia Challenge, and you can scroll through. Uh, but yes, you have until... August 18th, 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time to uh, let me know what word you heard uh, between episodes 73 through 76. So what is the bonus word and what is the definition? And remember, the definition is very short. Um, and if, if you just get even part of the definition, then that's fine. And you do not have to worry about spelling the word correctly at all. Uh, but yes, if you want to uh, be entered to win a book, copy of a book, uh, Love Gone Viral, uh, which is no longer for sale, um, then feel free to, to send me that word. Okay, and before we go, I do want to uh, remind you of the quote of the month by Donna Hedges. I, I just love it. I love this quote. Uh, she said, having a place to go as a home. Having someone to love is a family. Having both is a blessing. And with that, I do wish 
all the blessings this week to you. Um, I did get to sell my car uh, last week, so I'm so thankful for that. So if you prayed for me for that, thank you so much. I do have, if, if you want to pray for me um, or just send me good vibes, I would appreciate it. I do have one more thing I'm waiting on that I need to go. Um, I've got something stuck uh, in, in uh, the electronic atmosphere somewhere. So if you are so inclined, I would appreciate prayers that it could get unstuck. <laughs> Um, but thank you, and I do hope everyone has a blessed week. And with that, I bid you a wonderful, wonderful day and, and a wonderful, wonderful week, and I bid you adieu.